Welcome to this week's episode of Crime Survivor Speak. My name is Aswat Thomas. I'm the National Director of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice. We are a national network of 100,000 victims of crime from across the country. If you haven't already subscribed to stay up to date on the latest episodes, you can do that on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other streaming platforms by clicking the link on your screen or going to the website at www.cssj.org slash podcast. Today, I'm excited for another great conversation where we'll be highlighting one of our amazing survivor leaders and our Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice statewide manager, Alex Abood from Pennsylvania. Prior to joining the ASJ and CSSJ team, Alex worked in the city of Pittsburgh's new Office of Community Health and Safety, where she developed the city's first social work program that addressed the needs of crime survivors and began to build a social work co-response model for the city. Alex is a strong advocate for crisis intervention, harm reduction practices, survivor supports, youth engagement, and program development. We're excited to talk to you all about those ideas and solutions, Alex. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Aswad. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So let's dive into this amazing journey that you've been on and, and all of the program development advocacy that you have been leading. So let's start. Tell us what drew you to advocacy and how that lead you to working directly with crime survivors. Oh, gosh. Well, I don't think I sought out advocacy. I think it kind of just fell in my lap in a sort of beautiful accumulation of things coming together. You touched on all of my previous experiences in social work. And I actually, if you rewind a little bit to college, I actually started out in college as a graphic design major, which is wildly different than what I'm doing now. Although we do make a lot of flyers and posters and things. But I ended up going on a trip to Romania to an orphanage and while I was there, that's when it kind of hit me that I couldn't sit behind a computer all day. Like, I needed to be working with people and serving alongside people. And then, of course, in college, I experienced my own sexual assault. I'm a survivor of sexual assault. And that kind of drew me even further into the work, although I wasn't ready to talk about it at that time. I really immersed myself in that social work profession. And as I was integrated in my social work profession, I realized that I had this opportunity in front of me to use my skills, to use my life experience, to speak up, you know, to use my voice and advocate for those around me, especially for those who weren't ready to use their voice. And so I really think it just kind of happened. I think if you're meant for advocacy, then you're meant for it. And uh, you just kind of get led there in whatever, whatever way you get led there. <laughs> Amazing, amazing journey from uh, as a survivor to advocate and using all of the skills that you've acquired over the years, especially the importance of building uh, relationships with people. Alex, I want to go back to uh, something you just shared. Just you briefly touched on your uh, survivor experience. I would love to hear from you when you went through that experience, what was the response of law enforcement or the justice system? And did you access things like victim services or victim compensation? Yeah, great question. So that experience for me, you know, everybody's survivorship experience looks different, is different, feels different. And it's kind of hard to reflect on because 
that specific night, I think when you're a survivor, you remember it like like it was yesterday, right? Like you can remember the smells, the sights, the sounds. And for me, that was the absolute darkest, loneliest night of my life. And I was in a unique position where I had a lot of knowledge on the system. I had a lot of knowledge on the criminal justice system, on law enforcement, on social services, because I was studying it. You know, I was a social work major. I, it was what I was learning about. And so I was in this position where I knew that if I went to the hospital to receive help, they were going to report it to the police, right? And I wasn't in a place where I wanted police to get involved. You know, you see things on the news, you hear things in your community about, oh, like it's his word against her word. And I knew that the criminal justice system is incredibly re-traumatizing. And the last thing I wanted was to go and meet with a detective and then meet with another detective and then sit in a courtroom and be fighting every day for somebody to believe what had happened to me and for my offender to be held accountable. I wasn't sure that that was something I was ready for at the time. And, you know, I just experienced a crisis. <laughs> so I wasn't even thinking straight. It was traumatic. And so I ended up not getting any health care, not receiving evidence collection, not going to the police that night. And I actually ended up not sharing my story until about eight years later which was just last year when I finally shared it with my now husband. And so it's something that stayed very quiet and very deep inside me for a long time until I came to CSSJ and started on my own healing journey. Thank you, Alex. You know, as all survivors, we remember that day so vividly, right? We can just remember every second. And I think, you know, for all of us, we all also constantly are thinking about that moment, in, in which at times, I, and also for myself, that could be re-traumatizing. But you've mentioned something that I think is, is extremely important to elevate, that people think that the majority of crime that happens across the country is reported. But in fact, the majority of crime goes unreported. And for the way victim services is designed, unfortunately, especially victim services tied to the justice system, is that in order for you to get services, you have to file a police report. Right. After you file a police report, you have to cooperate with law enforcement, right? After you cooperate with law enforcement, you may have to go through the entire justice system process, as you mentioned, going to court, taking a stand, testifying, right? And for so many survivors, that is a very hard process to go through. And I wanna commend you just for going through that experience but also um, recognizing you on your own healing journey, on your own time, wanted to share that experience with your husband and started to share others. It takes just a lot of courage to do that. So you're, you're in the state of Pennsylvania, right? And in the state of Pennsylvania, you have the Victims' Compensation Program, used as an example, right? you would not be eligible for the victim compensation program for several reasons. One, you did not report the crime to law enforcement. 
and that you did not disclose your experience until eight years later. And so you did not report your crime to law enforcement. And then also you did not apply for the program within the time limits, right? In order to be eligible for the compensation program. How does that sound to you (laughs) uh, as a survivor that if you wanted to seek out services even five years after that experiences that you would be uh, most likely denied access to counseling and resources? Yeah, it breaks your heart in a way. I think about myself and I feel very fortunate to have such incredible support systems and to work for an organization too that takes care of us. But I've been going to therapy every week for, gosh, the past five years. And you think about all those co-pays, you think about all the costs that's gone into that. And that's a lot. And for me, I'm fortunate enough and I'm in a position where I can do that and I can make that a priority, but a lot of people aren't. You know, I've obviously traveled around the state a lot. I've had conversations with people within our survivor network, without our survivor network. And time and time again, I hear people say, well, why wouldn't you just report it? I know it's a lot to go through, but don't you want that person to be held accountable? Don't you want to have access to the resources? And I always challenge those people to... I know it's hard if you haven't been there, but I challenge them to think about me on that night, you know, an 18-year-old girl, and think about how in that position, I've heard so many things in my life leading up to that point. Walk in groups, watch your drink, don't go out late by yourself, don't go out with strangers, don't walk alone at the night, and, you know, always keep an eye where you're going. And so I followed those things religiously. I I considered myself a very safe person. And then when something like this happens and you think back and you say, well, I did this and I did that. Oh, but, you know, maybe I did leave with somebody I shouldn't have. Or maybe I did, you know, not watch my drink close enough. And so you start putting that on yourself. And so in that night, in that moment, I wasn't even sure If it was my fault, did I contribute to this? Would I take this to the police? And they would say, well, you shouldn't have done X, Y, and Z, or you wouldn't be here. So when I think back to being in the position where I could have reported to the police and I could have received victim's compensation, I I wasn't really sure that that wasn't even an option for me because I wasn't sure if it was my fault or not. (laughs) I wasn't sure if I even had a case. And it doesn't sound rational to people who weren't in that position. You have to think about an 18-year-old girl whose brain's not developed, who just experienced trauma, and you think it's your fault. And, And I know that that is happening again and again because I hear it from other survivors. And I know that's what's happening with them. They don't want to go to law enforcement. They're not even sure if a crime has occurred. They're worried about the way they've been treated by law enforcement in the past. And so they don't want to go report it. And now they're out of the funding that they need to clean up their crime scene, to hold a funeral for their loved one, to receive counseling services. And then they get stuck in this cycle, in this re-victimization cycle for potentially the rest of their life. And that cycle um, is something that we have to break in. So if you are listening to today's podcast, if you are an administrator, if you are a victim advocate or elected official or just part of the justice system, need people to recognize that you know the majority of crime goes on 
are reported and that you know majority of crime survivors do not access victim compensation or do not access a victim service. So it's important for all of us to advocate for those resources in those communities, especially communities most impacted by violence, and to ensure that we are prioritizing the healing and the services of, of crime survivors first. Alex, We've had this like this awesome trend on this podcast of speaking to leaders who have gone to school and have their degree in social work, uh, including myself. So, Alex, you got your master's in social work. How did that really like pave the path to the work you're doing now with Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice? Oh, my gosh. I mean, it directly paved the path. You know, this is actually not where... I envisioned myself. You know, if I look back at myself as a master's in social work student, this is not where I would have thought that I would be, but it perfectly gave me all the skills, right? It helped me to understand individuals. It helped me to understand the community at large. It helped me to understand how policies affect individuals. And that's why I love social work so much. And I know you love social work so much. And I always try to encourage young people who want to go and make change or to help people to go get their master's in social work because it covers such a diverse area. Um, You can take your master's in social work and you can do direct practice or you can do policy work, you can do organizing, and it's just like a limitless degree. For me, you know, I started out in that direct practice, and so I was able to work really closely with people youth in schools and then victims in the city of Pittsburgh. And that experience helped me to see people kind of eye to eye, to hear those stories, to experience the system through their eyes. And that kind of brought me here because I was hitting these barriers in navigating the systems with them. You know, I kept being stopped by a policy. Oh, well, they didn't file their police report. They can't get victims' compensation. Oh, well, their crime was, you know, three years ago, and the window is two years to apply. And so I kept hitting these barriers. And that's how I ended up here at CSSJ, because I said, all right, we got to address these barriers. Like, (laughs) these policies have to change. Or working one-on-one with these people, I'm getting nowhere. And so now in this role, it's just incredible because one, I get to affect those policies, actually make that change, but then still talk with survivors one-on-one and support them and hear their stories and just be with them. And so it's just like this perfect little package with a bow on top that wraps together everything I learned in my social work program and my personal and professional experience. It's just like a perfect little package. (laughs) Most definitely. So if you're listening, social work, social work, please, uh, if you're interested in helping people, communities and families, I want you to really really consider going down the path of of social work, uh, which, you know, have have led us here, (laughs) right, Alex, to Christ Survivors for Safety and Justice. So Alex, uh, this year um, you helped to lead uh, amazing conference in Harrisburg this year in June called Survivors Speak, uh, which is our uh, first time hosting this event in Pennsylvania, where you led hundreds of crime survivors to the state capitol for an advocacy day, meeting with legislators, having a healing vigil to honor, remember the, the loved ones we've lost and, and us as survivors. What was that experience like for you joining Crime Survivors Safety and Justice, um, building chapters and, and organizing uh, members at the local level, but also bringing 
them to the state capitol to advocate for policies that help stop the cycles of crime. What was that experience like for you leading hundreds of survivors to the state capitol for this uh, Survivor Speak Advocacy Day? Oh my gosh, we could talk about that for an hour. (laughs) It was so inspiring. I started working at CSSJ in March and then Survivor Speak was in June. So it came really, really quick. So I was just hustling to start getting to know people, getting people there, getting organizations to learn about CSSJ and want to load up on a bus at five in the morning and truck to Harrisburg. (laughs) And, you know, that's a big ask. And so it was hard work to get to know everybody so quickly and organize so quickly. But it was the most beautiful thing to see people not really know what they were going into, but say, hey, we'll be there. And then to see them get there and just fully give themselves to the day and just the emotions and the feelings and to see people have that realization that their voice mattered. You know, we always say when survivors speak, change happens. And for them to be able to witness that and actually feel for the first time that their story could impact policy that's not something a lot of them had thought about before. So witnessing that was so beautiful. For myself, it personally was a huge, huge, huge turning point in my healing journey. Most people don't know this piece for me, but that day was very, very personal for me. You know, I shared earlier that I kind of repressed my story or my sexual assault experience for such a long time. There was one time in college where I tried to share that with a friend. She got really upset with me crying, saying, oh, we must not be close. You would have shared this with me if we were good friends. And so I thought, well, shoot, everybody's going to have that response, which is why I didn't tell anybody till my husband. And actually, the next time I told somebody was you, Aswan, when we were when I was interviewing for this position, and you all asked me if I was a survivor. So before taking this position, I had to do a lot of reflection of, all right, if I do this, I'm leaning into it fully, and I have to be ready to address that this happened openly. And so leading up to Survivor Speak, I was, you know, this was kind of like the tipping point for me, right? It was all coming together. And the biggest piece was that I had not shared with my family. And I knew that we had the press conference. I knew we were doing storytelling videos and that it was going to come out. So the night before Survivor Speak, I actually wrote my family a letter and sent it to them. And, you know, my therapist said disclosure doesn't have to be perfect. So if you're out there and you're listening and you haven't shared yet with somebody and you really want to, just know that you can disclose in whatever way feels comfortable for you. It doesn't have to be perfect. And so that's exactly what I did. The night before Survivors Speak, you know, we're busy running around. I sent them this letter and I I shared with them everything that I needed to share. And then I got up on that stage the next day at Survivors Speak and gave my speech at that press conference and announced it to the world. On one side, it was beautiful to see everybody else experiencing this. But also personally, I was going through this massive turning of a leaf. Like it was just this turning point in my life. And I felt so light, like there was a thousand pounds off my shoulder that this was finally out and I could finally heal and heal along our incredible members. It's just, it was the best day. 
Thank you for sharing that. I, I did not know that. Just thank you for the courage in sharing that with your family and also with the world. I share my story a lot, Alex, whether it's like conferences, media, you know, often on this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. But every time that I share my story, I get just extremely nervous because I feel like I'm opening up myself to strangers at times, right? Who don't know me, not always wonder like how I'm going to be judged. Um, so I was like so nervous sharing my story and speaking. But for some reason, after that moment, it's just like, I just feel so fulfilled. I just feel like I was able to just like relieve so much stress, so much anxiety by sharing my story. For us as survivors, you know, everybody's healing journey is different. And for many of us, sharing our stories is part of our healing journey, not only for ourselves, for our families, for other survivors, and for our communities. But you talked about, you know, us going to Harrisburg for uh, the Survivor Speak Conference. We were going there to advocate for a series of bills as part of the Safer Pennsylvania Act. Uh, For those uh, who may not know, Alice, what the Safer Pennsylvania Act is, can you Tell us a little bit about what is the Safer Pennsylvania Act and what are some of the things that we are hoping to uh, accomplish to better support survivors? Yeah, absolutely. The Safer Pennsylvania Act is um, a series of bills that work to address public safety and specifically the needs of survivors of crime. So ensuring that crime survivors have access to the resources that they need um, and that they're able to be safe every day within their communities. Some of those things are in regards to victims' compensation that we talked about, into sexual assault evidence collection, housing relocation, job security, just the basic common sense needs that crime survivors have that are not currently addressed by the policies that exist. Not only have you like played that significant role in helping members to advocate for these bills, but also, Alex, congratulations uh, as part of Crime Survivor Safety just this year. In July, you also passed two of your first bills. Can you tell us about the impact of, of passing those two bills uh, as part of Safe Pennsylvania Act and what are survivor members uh, saying across the state about that victory? Yes, I want to be very clear. It was certainly not me. <laughs> um, you played a huge role in Alex. I will say I that. Mean, huge role. It was the survivors' voices and our incredible policy team as well. It's so exciting. So two bills passed this year. The first one, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about victims' compensation. And so the first one tried to address or does address some of those barriers. So Previously, there was a 72-hour time limit in which you had to report to the police. That time limit has gone away in the state of Pennsylvania. Additionally, you had two years to apply for compensation, and now you have five. So that's really exciting. And then the Sexual Assault Evidence Collection Act, you know, of course, a personal one for me. Uh, Previously, healthcare workers were mandated to report any sexual assault to the police, right? So if somebody came in for evidence collection, they were mandated to report. That is no longer. So now if a sexual assault survivor goes into a hospital to receive health care or evidence collection, it is up to them if they want it to be reported to the police. Those health care providers are no longer mandated to report it. 
Personally, of course, exciting, but the members, this was when they were able to see like, oh my God, like this works. Like this actually works. Like we shared our stories. We went and met with legislators and it worked. And being able to see that in them, to see the healing through advocacy, it's groundbreaking for their lives and for policies for future survivors. Being able to call some of our survivors, I think about Mr. Rick in Harrisburg, who had a really meaningful conversation with one of the legislators that actually got one of the bills moved up to hearing at an earlier date. Being able to call him and say to him, guess what, remember that legislator you met with? Like, they pushed this forward because of your story. And he was just so blown away. It, it felt good to him that somebody actually wanted to listen to what he said and make a change because of it. And you think about those two bills passing already. It's like, what can we do next? Like you think about the years to come and it's endless. It's like, we can keep fighting. We can keep doing this forever. It's incredible. And shout out, shout out to Rick. Uh, shout out to folks like Dr. Kevin Dolphin and, and Pearl Wise and, and Yolanda, all of our survivor, uh, Miss Pat uh, and Chester, all of our survivor leaders uh, across the state of Pennsylvania, uh, who many have never been to the state capitol uh, before, but brought their voices and experiences to the capitol and already passed uh, two bills as part of the uh, Safe for Pennsylvania Act that Alex mentioned. So we got more work to do as well in helping to ensure that all survivors get access to employment uh, protections as well. Uh, many uh, survivors are often having to return back to work after becoming a victim of a crime or after burying a loved one. So we want to ensure uh, that survivors can take the necessary time off following a crime to recover to seek medical uh, support, to get access to services, but also to get um, opportunities and time to grieve and heal. So super excited you know, over these next few months to continue to work on those bills in addition to bringing trauma recovery centers to the state of Pennsylvania um, as well. So Alex, just speaking more broadly, about the solutions uh, to safety, could you speak to the importance of disrupting cycles of trauma through healing as a path to public safety? Yeah, this is something I talk about, you know, almost every day with our survivors that are a part of our network. I, I know it's oversaid and people say hurt people hurt people all the time, but it's said so often because it's so true. You know, you look at some of our other programs at ASJ, like Time Done, which is working with folks who have been incarcerated, and it's kind of all one and the same, right? Like, it's it's trauma. It's trauma to the core, and people who don't get that healing, who have experienced trauma and don't have the access to services, now those people might become the offenders. And that cycle, it never ends. And so it's always crazy to me when there's any sort of opposition to these common sense public safety policies, because it's like, well, if we just helped people get the services they need, if we helped them to heal and recover from that pain, they could be better. And they're not going to go out there and hurt anybody else. They're not going to make the same mistakes. And the best example I have for this is when I was in 
my grad school program, I spent a summer at a residential treatment center. And so for folks who don't know what residential treatment is, it is a long-term mental and psychiatric health care. So people are there for, you know, anywhere from two months to two years, depending on their case. And a lot of times it's court ordered. And so I spent a summer, it was in Memphis, Tennessee, actually. And I was in um, a unit with all teenage boys and they all were carrying a juvenile sex offender title, which is a very, very heavy title to carry with you for the rest of your life. And something that I saw in those boys and their stories is that almost every single one of them were also childhood sexual assault survivors. And if that doesn't perfectly depict the cycle of trauma and how that is contributing to public safety, I don't know what else can. If those boys had had the healing to understand what they went through, to receive services, they would not be in a facility and being labeled as juvenile sex offenders. They would be survivors, right? And when I think back to that all the time, I try to keep that as close to my mind as I can because it it just perfectly demonstrates the need to get people services so they don't end up in a place where they're hurting other people. But I hope that they've had the access to services, that they have healed, and that they are contributing to a safe community. I encourage everybody to take the time to to read more into things like the Safer Pennsylvania Act or whatever state you're in, because you don't know when you might become a survivor, right? Your, your crime can come out of nowhere. That's how it is for all survivors. One day you're existing and the next day you're a survivor. And that could be you tomorrow. And so while it is victims and survivors leading this front to change public safety policies, I encourage everybody out there who is not a survivor, who has not fallen victim to a crime, to take that same interest because it could be you tomorrow. And you want to be a part of a community that ensures your safety if that happens to you. And, and that community is Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice, right? Yeah. So Alex is our Pennsylvania statewide manager. So if you are in Pennsylvania, you want to join uh, our Pennsylvania chapter, um, go to our website right now at www.cssj.org. Scroll down to Pennsylvania, click on that link, join a local chapter in your area, or you can join our statewide network. But if you are not in Pennsylvania, you can still join and become a member by going to our website as well. Uh, Alice, you talked about unaddressed trauma, right? Mm-hmm. And how that unaddressed trauma often leads to further victimization uh, and also uh, contact with the justice system. Just think about all the billions of dollars we spend on the criminal justice system. What if we spent every dollar on victim services, on our prevention, on mental health treatment. We can stop a lot of violence from happening and we can stop people who have been victims before of coming in contact uh, with the justice system. And so that's what Crimes Fire for Safety and Justice, what we want to build is this, this network in Pennsylvania of crime survivors all across the state 
who want to come together to heal and to share our stories and to advocate for that justice system that prioritizes healing, prevention, and recovery over more spending on incarceration. That's how we keep communities safe and keep communities well. Alex, my final question for you. Um, so what's next for uh, crime survivors for safety and justice in Pennsylvania? What are some of the things that you'll be doing and some of our chapters will be doing over these uh, next few months on the ground in local communities? Yes. Oh my gosh. We have so much coming up in Pennsylvania. We do have a chapter currently in Harrisburg and York. So if you are in those areas, please connect with us. Dr. Dolphin in Harrisburg and Miss Pearl in York are our chapter coordinators and they are out there doing amazing work coming together to heal and advocate. Right now, we are growing, growing, growing. So I am out in Philadelphia right now. We are starting our first chapter in Philly, and we are also starting a chapter right outside Philadelphia in Delaware County. So two new big chapters coming this way to Pennsylvania to um, offer more opportunities to get together and heal. We have trainings after trainings. I know you mentioned it earlier coming up. So tomorrow I'm here leading a training on how to, you know, build a network of leaders and coaching and, and training survivors and using their voices to change those policies, to get out there and make the difference. So we got trainings, we got chapters being developed. We are doing it all, Aswad. It doesn't stop. We got fall festivals coming up in York. Like we're having fun, but we're also just getting it done. It's amazing to see. Yes, we do have you all across the state, Alex. It's a lot of <laughs> trainings, right? A lot of meetings. Also, uh, we are also gearing up for, you know, to talk about more policies as part of our policy uh, retreats as well. We got the Heal the Vote uh, campaign. So a lot is happening. So if you are a survivor that wants to connect with a community of survivors, not only in Pennsylvania, but in states across the country to get peer-to-peer -peer support, to attend uh, activities, meetings, events, trainings, to raise your voice to help change policies at the local and state level, join crime survivors for safety and justice. Once again, Alex, thank you so much for your vision. Thank you so much for for your leadership in the state of Pennsylvania and also across uh, the country. And thank you so much for joining us today. Remember to join CSSJ Pennsylvania chapter, visit the website at cssj.org to join a local chapter near you. Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Aswan. It's been a pleasure. And thank you all for listening to today's episode. Remember, you can tune into all podcast episodes on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other streaming platforms. We are always healing through action. And as we heard today in the state of Pennsylvania, when survivors spoke, change happens with the passing of two bills. So as always, how we close out the Crime Survivors Speak podcast is when survivors speak, change happens. Thank you all so much. And I'll talk to you all on the next episode.